0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most glorious Father, as our souls cling to the dust, we pray that you would give us life according to your word. Lord, as we're told of your ways, you have answered us. Teach us your statutes. Make us understand the way of your precepts as we meditate on your wondrous works. As our souls melt away for sorrow, strengthen us according to your word and your promises. Show us, Christ, that we might be able to give thanks and praise, filled with the Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hear now the word of Lord from Exodus chapter fourteen, verses fifteen to thirty one. This is God's holy, inerrant, life giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Then Moses, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And it will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from them from before them, and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the drove the sea back by a strong east wind, all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters been a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus... The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. and They believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. The grass withers, the flowers fade the word of our Lord will stand forever. We ended last time with this critical point of of juncture for the people of Israel. They were trapped. In front of them stood the great sea with no way to cross. And behind them came marching towards them with the army of the Egyptians. Six hundred of the world's greatest warriors stampeding towards them, a great host of military prowess. This nation stood not just merely for a couple of decades, but millennia. You do not stand firm as a nation without a strong military. And this army that was coming towards the nation of Israel, Israel was trapped. Instead of horsemen, they had donkeys. Instead of chariots, they had carts loaded with their own belongings. Instead of great warriors, they had men, women, children, young and old. Instead of these military soldiers who had probably survived many a battle, they've spent their lives in slavery. No phrase can really summarize this place where the people of God have found themselves, now between the sea and the sword. Here in the middle of the sea and sword, God spoke to the people and told them four things. As We closed last time. Fear not, stand firm, look, and be silent. Today we actually see The reality of these things come to fruition. The second portion of this great story. God had promised that he would fight for them. And they would see that on this very day. This is the point in which Israel are totally and finally free from Pharaoh. Today we'll see God's divine hand at work to be able to bring about salvation to his people and the destruction to Pharaoh's people. We'll see this in four parts. Firstly, divine proclamation to Moses. Secondly, divine salvation to his people. Thirdly, divine destruction to Pharaoh's people. And finally, exaltation to God from his people. First, divine proclamation to Moses in verses 15 to 18. In the whole story of Exodus, we have seen God's sovereign and mighty hand at work. And it all begins with God's word. Everything that has happened up to this point has been told to the people of God, Pharaoh and Moses. Although it has been said we need to realize that this is the foundational principle of how God relates to his people. How he relates to his creation. That his relationship to his creation primarily comes through his revealed word. God speaks. He declares what is going to happen. He declares how we are to live. He declares the promises of salvation. God speaks. God warns His creation what's going to come through judgment. God promises salvation to His creation and the means in which they are to be saved. He tells, He shows, He makes the way for them to be saved. We see God's sovereignty, God's providence throughout all of his creation. The God is not merely just reacting to circumstances. Your God woke up this day and, and said, oh no, I didn't think that the Egyptians would chase them down. What are we going to do? We're, struck, we're trapped. Um, oh, what's the best... Uh, Let's divide the sea. He told them right before any of this was going to happen, he had planned all of this. He ordained everything that shall come to pass. And the same is true today. The God still speaks through his word, warning people of judgment that is coming, offering the way through Christ of salvation to all. As a rich man sits there and says, send someone like Lazarus who is dead to be able to tell all the people, tell my brothers and sisters and my family of what is going to come. And Abraham turns to the rich ruler and says, they're not going to believe. They have the prophets of Moses. If they don't believe them, then they won't know this judgment. They won't listen to someone being raised from the dead. So too is the same. The same principle is here at work. God, God declares everything that is going to happen. And we are called to be able to go forth and tell these things to all nations. The faith comes through hearing, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10. And so here in this passage, we see Moses is told exactly what is going to happen what's going to happen and and why it's going to happen, that eventually, after this, everyone will know who the Lord is. The second thing that we see here in this passage is divine salvation to his people. See this in verse 19 to 22, and then again in verse 29. We've just been told previously in this chapter, in verses 13 and 14, that God would fight for his people that he would save his people from this impending war that was coming and charging upon them. God told Moses exactly how he was going to do it in verses 15 to 18. But now we see God actually carry it out. You see, God send the angel who was protecting and guiding, leading them, now comes down and stands between the sword and the people of God. Comes down to be able to go through this vicious army and the petrified people. The cloud that protects the people from the sun and lights their path at night now becomes this great wall as the people are to be able to cross over the Red Sea. We see not only God hold off the enemy, he will finally defeat the enemy, but until that, the people need to cross over the sea. We see Moses stretch out his hand as God had commanded him to do so. And the Lord drives this strong east wind all night, making this sea walls of water are either side, right on the left as they cross the sea, walking across on dry land. There's a sense here where it's hard for us truly to be able to fathom. Here are the petrified people who are absolutely shaking in their sandals previously when they see the Egyptians charging now upon them, and we're told they walk across the sea. Surely there would be some sense of urgency as they seek to be able to get out of this as quickly as possible, and yet here they walk across this dry land. This is why it takes all night. You remember that there's over 600,000 of them, close to 3 million in total. It takes a long time for them to be able to cross this sea. God, in an instance, parts the sea, but it takes these humans, a long time to be able to cross. Now we need to stop here and discuss what is this detail here. That many people come to passages like this and throw up their arms and say, well, this just can't happen. There has to be some natural explanation of all this. Particularly when it came to liberal scholars, they would come and there was this sense where if it was supernatural, their modernistic world of scientific empiricalism, of, of trying to study the world, just did not try grasp or fathom these, and they said, Well, either these people just do not know what they're saying, their myths that are made up or they seek to be able to look at the Bible and try and understand maybe how could this be a real story that's found in the Bible. And they try and take away the supernatural aspects of the world. And some scholars have suggested they're not crossing over the Red Sea, but it's actually the Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea is, is filled with reeds, as you imagine. It has a similar word to propious, That's where they get it from. They link this word in, in Hebrew. But in doing so, I think they create many more problems then it's hard to be able to imagine. Not merely just in this passage, but across the whole Bible. And scholars, they seek and say, well, it's just the Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea is not you know, very deep. It's you know, probably about six inches of water, maybe a little bit more. And so the, the, the people of God just walked across the Reed Sea. And they had no idea where they were. So when they tell the story, they need to explain that, well, it's the Red Sea, and they they didn't understand that, they didn't have directions and GPS like we do today, so therefore they just don't fathom those things. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that they were able to be able to walk across on dry land. And you think that the people who are reading this story, are the people who are in the story, Hey, Moses, can't you remember that my sandals got wet that day? It wasn't dry, it was wet. Not only that, the the dry ground, but also the Bible says that there's a great wall on either side of them, on the right and on the left, several times it says throughout the passage. Now, even the greatest of fishermen telling their story would probably never be able to say that a six-inch deep water is a great wall. There's no actual wall at all if they walk in the water. There's actually another thing that they seek to be able to overlook, and it comes in a preacher's tale. And a preacher's tale is that everyone knows of this story as a preacher, but they don't know where this story came from. But here this man is reading his Bible, and he's reading Exodus chapter 14, and he says, don't we serve a great God? A God who is able to be able to save the people of Israel by letting them walk across on dry ground through the Red Sea. And a liberal pastor comes up and says to them, "And well, you just don't quite understand. It's not actually the, the Red Sea, it's actually the Reed Sea. And to the preacher's surprise, this person turns around and says, Don't we worship such a great God who is not only able to be able to save the people from the Egyptians, but the God who is able to be able to make an army drown in six inches of water. And we see time and time again that here you start to unravel the story and None of it makes sense. But I think one of the greatest arguments is actually not found in Exodus chapter 14. I think there's enough evidence there for it to be able to prove. But when you turn to the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 2, here Rahab is in the town of Jericho. And the people of, of God... Are spying out this land, and there's these two spies. And, and Rahab explains in verses 11 and 10 and 11 that we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites when you were beyond the Jordan of Shihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is a God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Here, Rahab tells the story and and the news that traveled over this period of time and they heard about this story found in Exodus chapter 14, how the Lord dried up the sea, how they defeated these two kings. And what happened is their hearts melted. that they started to realize this is a God who is powerful and mighty, not just to defeat kings, but to be able to divide a sea. Now, after all this time, don't you think that surely some news would get out, well, the Israelites are making up this story. They didn't cross over the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army wasn't destroyed you have nothing to be afraid of. They're not a great and strong, mighty army. They don't serve a great God. They just walked across the Reed Sea. But here, Rahab is able to be able to see and hear of what God had done. Not only here, but throughout the whole Bible. This becomes one of the great events where the people of God is, you want to see how strong and mighty our God is? He's the one that divided the sea. He's the one that saved and redeemed the people from slavery. Like I said before, what happens is you start to be able to unpack this and you think we'll just shift the location of this, but actually you unravel the whole story, creating many other problems. And if you go further than that... If you seek to be able to create a Bible without supernatural interference from God in his creation, then we have a greater problem than where the people crossed. If God cannot divide the sea, he cannot divide our hearts. He cannot pierce our souls. He cannot save our souls. He cannot make us new. He cannot raise a dead man to life, and He cannot raise everybody to life in the resurrection in the last days. How could He make a sinner a saint? If you'd be able to see and, and say that God doesn't work through supernatural means and in His creation, then we lose not only sections of the Bible, we lose the God of the Bible, which the God of the Bible praises, adores, and glorifies. The God is not only the creator of the world, but through His hand of providence works in this world to be able to save us. And here this Point becomes one of these pivotal points where we see this great and glorious God who is able to do great and glorious things to be able to save his mediocre people. That God brings about the salvation of his people through supernatural means. That the people of God merely need to walk on dry ground. And he is the one that saves them through his power and his might, just as he promised. The third thing we see in this passage is divine destruction of Pharaoh's people. In verses 23 to 28. We see God's mighty hand at work to be able to save the people of God, but also in his destruction and judgment upon Pharaoh's people. You see, these great signs and wonders, not only in what he does to be able to save the people, but even in how he brings judgment upon the Egyptians. It begins with the hardening of the Pharaoh's heart, but particularly of the Egyptians' heart, to be able to chase them in. So they want to be able to go in and chase down the people of God in the middle of these two ginormous walls does more than that. You see this cloud of pillar and fire through the Egyptians as as it comes between them, restraining them, but also as they're in the water, then they're thrown into a panic. Their wheels are clogged up. even seek to be able to return out, but they're unable to do this as the waves come crashing down upon them. And here we see this total and final judgment come upon the people who had bitterly, harshly enslaved the people of God. They for a long time, will not get mentioned. They're gone. God has defeated them. As he says in that opening verse there, that that they will know who the Lord is. There's no way at the end, when they tell the story, that they can say, well, we let them go, you know, we're just being nice. They can't twist and distort the tale or the story. Nehemiah, as he writes about this event, he focuses on their affliction. Verses nine, verse nine and 10 in chapter nine, Nehemiah writes this, "And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard the cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. Here we see Nehemiah focusing on the affliction of the people, their cry to the Lord, but how God delivers them from their hand to the oppressors through this action. But finally we see the exaltation to God from his people. See this right at the very end. The Lord saves Israel, as we declare in verse thirty. But also Israel saw the great power of the Lord in verse thirty one and used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Here their action is, is, is twofold, and one that here they now fear the Lord but also believe in him, and also in Moses. And time and time again, we'll see this over the next coming weeks as we look at chapter 15, but here the response of the people of God is to worship the great and glorious God who has saved them. God said, all you need to do is is stand firm, fear not, look and be silent, and hear on the other side of the sea. The sword has been taken care of. The sea is no longer a problem. And as they look, they're able to be able to see God's promises come to life right before them. And their response is praise and adoration to the God who has saved them. Their response is not boasting in of of themselves and say, did you see how good we walked? Did you see us? Their response is to realize what God has done for them in all of His glory, in all of His splendor, in all of His might, and to turn to Him in praise and adoration and time and time again. This is the response of God's people. You think even about Paul in Acts as he goes into prison and what do they do? They pray and sing. Praise is on their lips. This will become one of the the points where Israel will return to time and time again remember the great and glorious God that we serve. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 66, come and see what God has done. We saw what God did. He continues and says, He is awesome in His deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in Him, who rules by His might forever, whose eyes kept watch over the nations let no, not the rebellious, exalt themselves. Again, if merely they walked through some river that was merely just ankle deep, how would you praise God for saving them? But the response is to worship God in all of his glory and might. As we think about this, there's a particular passage in mind that we will come back to time and time again, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In the opening three verses, the Apostle Paul writes and says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and under in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. He continues later on and says, Now these things happen to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let, no, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And here, Paul uses this very strange imagery here. A baptism. He says, baptized into Moses. In the cloud and in the sea. What does this mean? Well, there are many different opinions. I think there's a strong argument for why we sprinkle and do not immerse. We think that the people walking through, they might have got slightly wet, as water might have come over a little bit, but sprinkled upon, but who was immersed was those who died in the sea. Now again, I think that's a uh, point, not a strong argument on that sense, but here I think the best and simplest meaning is to be able to understand what baptism and what the, the word Moses means here. Many different understandings of this, but here baptism speaks of union. Time and time again you're baptized into in Acts chapter 19, they're asked, we're, bat- we're done into John's baptism. Well, John's baptism speaks of union. In, in, um, in earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul speaks of baptism, and it's, it's, we're all baptized into Christ. It's not who does the baptism, it's our union to Christ that's the important thing, having the same mind and judgment. So it speaks of union, and then underneath, Moses as the mediator. But here, Moses is the mediator of God's people. I think you take this one step further, and baptism often in the New Testament speaks of death. It speaks of that in Romans chapter 6. But I think this is even the point that the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11 as he speaks of the, the people of God as by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So here they walked through the Red Sea as this symbol of death. Death is averted. Death comes to the Egyptians. Life, freedom, comes to the Israelites. It's by faith they cross the Red Sea. Both of them crossed the Red Sea, you might say. (laughs) The Egyptians didn't get to the other side. Death overcome them. uh, The Israelites walked through, found their way to the other side. So you you see this shadow of the grave. That here, we have been baptized into Christ. Christ has walked through the sea of death for us. That we might be able to cross to the other side. Of life. Again, that principle united to the mediator is what Paul says in Romans chapter 16. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This moment in time was impending death for the Israelites, yet God made a way for them to be able to get to the other side. By faith they walked across this dry land that now they are free. That underneath the meteorship of Moses, they were able to be able to be led to the other side. And here, we see Christ as the one who has freed us. That we might be able to cross the river of death. To be able to get to the other side where we are free and have everlasting life. Let's stop there and go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you so much for a passage like this in which we see the glorious God in which we serve, the great and powerful one who is able to save his people, to save them from the sword, to be able to lead them to the other side to live free, everlasting life. We pray and give thanks to you that we have Christ as our mediator, as we are united to Christ in his death, that we be able to walk in newness of life. Help us to do so, we pray, through the work of the Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com.